This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year. All right, 2017. How many of you stayed up past 10? Wow, all right. 11? Wow, party people. And uh, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to leave it there. Now, uh, okay. And now Roxanne and I, we, uh, we celebrate big. Um, and so last night around 8 o'clock, Roxanne says, hey, let's celebrate. Why don't you go to Andy's and get us something? So I'm like, I'm on that. I'm on that. And uh, so I, I uh, zip off to Andy's, zipping down there, and there's not a lot of traffic out. And I get there, and it's closed. And like that prayer Bob had for us on Christmas, it's like, well, I mean, what, what's your prayer? It's simply, help me, God. You know, help me. And so then, then I look down the road, and I see a shining light. And yes, it is Brahms. And, and Brahms is just, just there. And so I zip down to Brahms, and hey, God's good. Got ice cream. And, and uh, we celebrated, and we didn't make it till, well, yeah, we did make it till 10. I think, but it was great. It was our 44th uh, New Year's Eve together, so we were, we did calculate that. So I, I thank God for 2017, and thank God for the words of that song, that creedal song that says, uh, it's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that we live, and that we have hope in the 2017, and we have hope eternally. And so that with that, uh, let's, uh, let's jump into the new year. Well, it is uh, 2017 and, uh, and the holiday season, and, and so uh, in our family, uh, even though Roxanne and I are older now, we like to say more seasoned, um, the, uh, we still get together with our boys. We have two boys, Clay and Jeff, and so uh, we get together, we make it a priority, and we catch up. We catch up, enjoy some good food, which we were doing here, and then we like to tell stories. And the stories uh, are always, we reminisce, and, and this year, one of our favorites is of Clay, where Clay is the, he's the one with the beanie, uh, lives in Los Angeles, and a story on Clay, he was the leading character. And Clay, as a kid, really got into uh, receiving gifts and playing a role, and he would really get into whatever he was into for a while, for a while. And... Uh, and then he fell in love with football. I wonder why, because it was on the TV. Happened to be watching that over and over. God forgive me. The, uh, but so he's, he comes into a season of watching football and loving football. And, but for Clay, it's, it's never enough. I mean, he's all in for a while, for a while. And so we, uh, we got into a season where he, he just, we would run around the house together and we'd tackle each other and we'd throw the ball. But he has to have more. Clay just has to have more because he's all in for a while. Well, I present to you Clay Mason, the Dallas Cowboy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cowboys fans out there? Okay. Oh, over here. All right. Jimmy. All right. So, uh, but I'll tell you, it was just funny because Clay, I mean, just for a while, for a season, he was a Dallas Cowboy. And I know KJ loves the Cowboys. Forgive him for that. The, uh, the, uh, but so Clay, you know, he was into it. But the, the point here is Clay as a kid was just into it for a while. He had to have the shoulder pads, the whole deal there, you see. Um, and for us as adults, the thing that, that I think about, it's, it, it is humorous as a kid. And in our human condition, we can be into something for a while. 
You know, we're all in, and then it fades. Our interest fades. Something new comes along. Something new comes along. And then I was thinking about as adults, because I know it's happened to me more than you know. And and I will just tell you right now, I confess to uh, Pastor Bob and others who have pulled me back in when I started to, to wander way away from the faith that uh, in our human condition, we can, we can lose interest and in other things start to take uh, a priority into our life. And so today, I want to read a scripture to you that uh, John Wesley used often at the beginning of the year to preach to the people that he led as, the, as a Methodist movement in the 1700s. And he would uh, read these words of scripture to encourage people. And to keep us in the faith and to know what is, know what is primary. And so I, uh, I ask you to hear these words. A call to holy living. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that, form, that, that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead... As he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I, God, am holy. So again, John Wesley would would preach these words because he knew that uh, people that he led, um, he would say that he didn't really see any significance, change in their lives. And in fact, for many people, even though they called themselves Christians, they would see no change in their lives. And he, he would watch many people profess their faith, and then the people around them, they had no impact on the people around them. There was no transformation, no change happening in them, and they were having no transformation upon the world around them. So at the beginning of the year, he would read the scripture, preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, offer Holy Communion, People would confess their sins, and they would get a refreshing, a restart uh, for the new year. And he also really challenged people to be distinctive and holy. Holy means set apart, set apart to reflect the goodness of God in themselves and then express it in the world. And as a Christian community, he called them as a community to be distinct, living in the world but in, they would have practices that made them different and would make them distinctively good, if you will. Salt and light, the goodness of God reflected in the world. Now, Wesley, going back to sports, I like to say is a five-tool player, if you know what that means in sports. That means that he could do, he could do it all. He was an intellectual. He was very practical. He would visit the prisons. He would be in the church if he needed to be. Wherever he needed to be, whatever needed to be done, he could do it, and he had the gifts to do it. And so he found practical ways to help people live their faith and to teach the faith, as we believe we're a teaching church. And one of the primary tools, he would give them tools, and so one of the primary tools he would give them is groups and classes. It became uh, just a huge part of why the Methodist movement was vital, that it was a movement that was not dead, that the Spirit of God was seen living in it, both in England and then it came to the United States, the Methodist movement. And Wesley knew it was really important not to stop just with personal holiness. 
In other words, we're good with God, and if I'm good with God, then everything's good. Well, he saw it differently. He said, well, let's get right with God. Let's be reconciled. Let's be righteous. Let's be right with God by practicing these disciplines, groups and classes and others that we'll do here today, like communion. But he said, but beyond that, we've got to be with people. We've got to be uh, transformed in ways that, that affect other people, those around us. Because if we're not doing that, then we're not blessing the, girl, the world. And God called us, chose us as God's people to bless the world. So he created this system of groups and classes. And then he drew, wherever they were at, they would meet them in their faith. Then he would drive them deeper into the faith through these groups and classes. And he expected the followers is the followers to be all in, to be all in. He was, for a lifetime, a remarkable follower of Jesus. And he expected people to work at holiness. Holiness, I think, in our modern sensibilities is kind of an unusual world, but again, word. And what he was really meaning is that we're to be distinctive in the world for good, for good, to reflect God's character in all that we do. He expected people to go, not just to go through the motions of church attendance or it might be today just serving whenever it's convenient for us. He expected more of his followers. And then when he saw that people, when they put themselves into it, when they gave effort, when they lived in these practices, this mysterious combination of effort and God's grace, he would see change. Because he observed the world. He watched what was going on. He saw it was effective for the purposes of Christ, and then he, uh, he continued to use, in this case, where he saw, encourage people to give the effort. God's grace meets us in that. God's love propels us, actually, to the effort. And when we do both, this mysterious transformation that we see happening, and I can tell you, I see happening in many of you. Now, the apostle Peter, he wrote this scripture to the early church spread around the Mediterranean because he knew that they needed encouragement and they needed to keep primary, which was the grace and the hope of Jesus Christ, their first love. He knew they needed that because they were facing real persecution as earlier followers, early followers of Jesus, and they were suffering. They were willing to suffer for Christ, to overcome evil with good, not just to uh, respond to evil with evil, which was the practice of the world, that he would call them in this letter, in this epistle, this letter to the churches, Peter would call them to overcome evil with good. He would also call them to obedience, a word that's kind of, I think, often lost on us in, our, in, our, in these modern sensibilities, is that he would simply call people to obedience. That is that we're, we have these things that we are to do, and we're about doing them. Otherwise, he would see, like Wesley saw, and what we know is part of our human condition, and I know what I have experienced, is that we'll begin to fade. And we'll begin to lose our interest. And other priorities will come into our life, and they will become primary. These regular practices, um, they, uh, uh, they can be, I think sometimes, they can become rote to us. In other words, we do them. And today, as we talk about Wesley, at the end, we're going to say a prayer that that we've not said very often uh, here, but we're going to say it, and it won't feel rote at all. And it's going to be a practice of Wesley that will uh, drive us deeper into our commitment. It's a time for a fresh start, a renewing of our covenant. The, uh, 
the thing about the, the foundation of our faith and what Peter knew in the early church when he sent this letter was that people need a foundation, a cornerstone. And he knew that for them, that that was Jesus Christ. And they were going to need this through their life because life was going to continue to bring them challenges. And God was going to continue to bring them challenges because God doesn't leave us where we're just comfortable. God, the blessing of God, calls us into challenges, but he will also equip us for those challenges. So tonight, or tonight, this morning, I want to talk about three stories, um, a call to holy living, a response to obedience. The first of those that we'll begin with is Moses. And Moses' story is really about seasons of life. And today you may find yourself in an interesting season of life. You may find yourself outside the faith, really wondering what you believe. You may find yourself in a bit of a wilderness, kind of a desert, kind of not sure what's going on with your life or what's next. Or you may find yourself really hearing from God and and what the next purpose is for you, but also wondering, how am I going to do that? So this is the story of Moses. Three seasons in the Bible of 40 years each. In the first season of life, he seemingly has it all. He's the son of the Pharaoh. Um, he has lots of power and titles. Um, he, uh, he's got it. He's got it made, if you will. But he's living outside the faith. He's not believing in the God of the Hebrews, the one true God. He's worshiping many idols and gods. And then God breaks his heart through his compassion for how the, the Hebrew people are being treated, and they're being treated, you know, they're in slavery. And so Moses, a sense of injustice rises in him one day as he uh, protect, protects the Hebrew people, and he kills a slave master. And when he kills the slave master, he has to run for his life, and he runs into the desert. And he's a sol- mostly a solitary shepherd. He has a family. But he's mostly a solitary shepherd for 40 years. He's out there doing good work, uh, the work that God has for him for a time, but he's out in the desert. And then he hears a call from God, and he responds to that call. Now, his, it's the burning bush. Now, his response, I think, is interesting because whenever I read that, reread that story of this uh, elongated re- response is that uh, when God calls him and chooses him, In covenant, God chooses him in covenant to lead God's people out of slavery and deliver them the law and lead them through the wilderness. At first, Moses is really like, I'm not really up for this, God. You know, I stutter. I'm not the guy you're looking for. And God says, yeah, you are the guy I'm looking for. I chose you. I will help you. I will teach you. And we'll do this life together. And so uh, in Moses' story, I think that we can often see our story as well we can have that sense of inadequacy or you know either God has something big big for us or God doesn't have anything for us but you see Moses' seasons of life there was a time when he was in the wilderness and God used that to shape him for him to hear God so all of our experiences can be redeemed can be used for the purposes of God the important thing is that God keeps covenant God is faithful God uh, continues to uh, love us and care for us through all that we go through. And one of the really beautiful stories of uh, most beautiful aspects of this story, I think, 
is that God is never done with us. Never done with us. Moses is 80 when he begins this, uh, this last third of his life, when he begins his real significance, if you will. Real significance, not as the son of Pharaoh, but as the leader of God's people. Again, feeling inadequate, but he has his brother and other people to help him through this experience. So God is never done with us. So wherever you're at today, I encourage you and to know that God is never done with you either, that he has meaning and purpose for us, even if we can't see it, which I think is often the case. Now I want to pivot a bit and talk about a second story of obedience, and this gentleman's name is Dean Nawalny. Now Dean was like Moses in the sense that Dean seemingly had it all early in life. Early in life, Dean was on Wall Street and was making uh, lots of money, But at the same time, he felt like he wasn't really having an impact, that he wasn't uh, doing anything that was really meaningful. And he actually said he thought, you know, he felt bored in what he was doing. At the same time, he's preparing. He's He's becoming a follower of Jesus, and he's preparing for this life with God. And then he hears a call from God. He begins to hear God's voice. And God has a has a mission for him but then for him like all of us will he be obedient is the question will he will we be obedient he was successful but he was empty well in 2010 dean traded his marketplace uh, executive position for entering into a ministry if you will like many of us we're in ministry uh, and many aspects in life Um, he began to lead a ministry called Halftime Institute. Halftime Institute. And this is where, it's a ministry where it it takes, uh, because he's done it in his own life, it takes what we've done in the first half of our life, wherever, out there, the skills that God has given us, okay, whatever those skills may be, and then turn those into the purposes uh, of of and for God, which which would be to meet human needs and bring the kingdom of God here through many, many ways. And so he, um, not only does he do it himself, he leads, and you can look it up online, the Halftime Institute. He encourages business leaders, and we're all about, here at Schweitzer, all about the, good, the goodness and the importance of business. We have a ministry, business is ministry here, which talks about how do we use our businesses as ministry. Well, Dean takes his success in the marketplace and then teaches other business leaders now how to use that, their first-half success, into a life of impact, joy, and balance. And he was missing those in the first half of his life, impact, joy, and balance. Well, I think we all need those. I know that's something that I, I need all the time. And then there's this significant quote, I think, from Dean, so I want to read it to you. Dean says, "'The appetite for significance is at an all-time high.'" Yet most people have no idea where or how to identify their gifts and talent and connect to their passions. And that's my love for halftime. Nothing satisfies me more than to help a man or a woman say, this is what God has for me to do. And then he reminds us of the scripture that leads his life, and it's from Ephesians 2.10. See these words. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared for us in advance to do. So what does God have for me and you to do in 2017? 
Well, around here at Schweitzer, we, we believe very much in teaching the faith and then living the faith. And so to the question is, how are you living your faith uh, going into 2017? And so for you, because I know in my experience, and we know that it, it, it's, it's so important to be with others beyond personal, personal holiness into social holiness, to be with others, to transform the world around us. These are our outreach ministries here at Schweitzer. And many of you are involved in them and lead and serve in them. God bless you. And I know those ministries change you. They challenge you, but they change you and the world around you. And so I invite you, if you're not serving, to really considering jumping into living the faith. These uh, ministries, in particular, Life Change Plan and Coach House, we're, we're needing uh, mentors and champions, people to, to do life with others so God can use us both and change us both. So if, 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 if you hear from God at all about investing in another life, which is living the good news, investing in relationships in another life, contact Mark McNelly to consider becoming a mentor or a champion and it'll change your life. Now, what if you're younger, and this is uh, relative day 20, a much younger crowd, a much younger crowd uh, here today. What if you're younger and feel unprepared to participate in this life of faith? Well, it's okay. Whatever doubts, whatever unpreparedness you feel like you have, God, God will meet you in that, and God will help you as you make yourself available. And he will equip you too. It was in 1995 as a young man with a young family and a really big mustache and, uh, the, uh, uh, and very little faith, very little faith. I came here to Schweitzer to an exploratory meeting about a class called Disciple, Disciple. And I came to the class and I felt very uh, unprepared and actually I was scared because I, I didn't know what I was doing and didn't want to look stupid. And... Uh, but God met me in that place. And I actually said, and you don't have to comment on this, but I said something that was a little crazy. I said, so they went around and said, so what do you think about this? And I said, well, you know, I think I'll do this when I retire. And, uh, and now when I think about that, I'm thinking, what was I thinking? Am I crazy? Well, you know I am. But uh, the, uh, um, I mean, that thought really came out of my mouth that I would wait to do this faith thing until I retired and miss all the goodness and blessings and, yes, challenge that God has for us all through the life. I can tell you that even though people told me I was successful, I was empty. I was needing more, and God had more for me. And so the people around me encouraged me to take the class. In fact, the pastor said, you know, again, he said, you might want to think about that, Jim. You might want to rethink that, and he was right. And then people came around me and said, we'll help you. We'll help you get through this. You can do this. It was a year-long study or about nine months, so it looked pretty significant, and it was. But we went through the Bible together, and the Scriptures came alive to me, and my faith started becoming alive. Um, and so we know these, these spiritual disciplines, they really work, and particularly when other people are around us in a group or a class and invest in us too. Because life isn't all about us. You might wonder when you go to a group or a class, you might think like I did. I mean, the world was all about me. I was like, I don't really, you know, this is not for me. But what I didn't know then is whenever we come to a group or a class, maybe the group or class needs us. Maybe the group or class needs us to say the thing that might seem silly to everybody else. Like, so maybe something I said, maybe people looked at him like, oh, what's he thinking? 
And then they can respond to that. You know, it gives us all a chance to enter into this mystery of God's grace. And so as we, as, as we come to this time in 2017, we saw earlier we got some great classes and groups coming up. And all I can say to you, wherever you're at in your faith, along the spectrum of faith, jump into one of those. Jump in. Try it. Challenge yourself. It'll be okay. Um, I've had the privilege of uh, being in all but the, well, I haven't been in the women's Bible study, but um, the, uh, or uh, Paul, but I would love to do Paul with Pastor Bob because I know he had a great trip and that's going to be awesome. But I took disciple for nine months and then I just kept taking the next step. One small group after another. We're going to have some great small groups. God will meet you in those. Do it. The, uh, an alpha to get started, man, that thing is awesome. If you've not taken Alpha, and even though you have faith and you need it refreshed, get into Alpha. It'll, uh, it's really good stuff. And then, of course, getting started in the Bible. I could have used that back then, but people were, uh, people were around us. And people will always meet us in our needs if we're people of God. And so today, we know that we set our hope on the grace of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. The foundation, our cornerstone. That's where our identity is. And we know that God is always reaching out to us. But the question for us today is, will we, will we be all in? Are we committed to this life with Christ? That's the question for us. And so now I want to pivot back to, to Wesley as we get ready to head into a time of communion. And I told you that he, uh, the guy could do it all. And so in this time of year when he would have a service similar to this, he crafted a prayer that is essentially a, uh, people have called it a prayer that is similar to a uh, New Year's resolution for people of faith to say, to say these words, if we're ready to say them. If you're not ready to say them, uh, no pressure. But I'm going to read it once, and you just listen and take in these words, and then we're going to read it together and, and then move into a time of Holy Communion. But this prayer was crafted to give us voice to who we are with God. Are we all in? God's all in for us. Are we going to be all in in this relationship with Christ? And so hear these words. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you are brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, or let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine, and I am yours. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Well, it's 2017, and we're about to, to head into a, a year of hope because we are people of God. It's a time for recommitment because we are God's handiwork. We're chosen to do good works. That's what God has put us here for. And so now I invite us to stand. We'll stand together, and let's read this prayer together, and then I'll lead us into a time of Holy Communion. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you 
are laid aside for you. Exalted for you are brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. It was on the night that Jesus gave himself up for us. Jesus was all in. He was all in. He was committed. He was committed to his mission that God had given him. He was committed and deeply connected to his disciples. It was on the night that he gave himself up for us that he took the bread and broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to God, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. A new covenant. This is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. You are forgiven. As often as you drink this, remember me. Let's pray together. Holy and gracious God, pull out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and cup and make them be for us the body and blood of Christ. Lord, you have created us to bless this world, to be in mission, to be all in with you because you have our backs. Lord, we yield ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you in this new year, this new year you have given to us, and we are thankful. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. And now would the servers please come.